Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning. So I want to start off this morning with a public service announcement. Uh, there's four shopping days till Halloween, and I uh, thought you'd want to know that, uh, to be prepared. Now, somebody might be thinking, we should do Halloween, do you, you know, believe in that pagan whatever thing? Uh, well, not that you would know, and besides, you wouldn't recognize me because I'd be in costume, so we'll, we'll just leave it at that. But I, I do want you to know that uh, in um, how important Halloween is that in 2015, Americans spent $350 million on Halloween costumes for their pets. Seriously. Uh, they spent $6.9 billion altogether for Halloween. Uh, in, in 2017, we spent in America $9.1 billion on Halloween. And that's candy, costumes, you know, everything, parties, everything that goes along with Halloween. We spent $9.1 billion in the U.S. Uh, on, on Halloween. And, and so marketers, they, they, they love these numbers. They study these things. And, and they figured out that the biggest growth area in Halloween spending were adults buying costumes. Uh, that more and more adults are, were buying Halloween costumes. And, and so naturally, someone with way too much time on their hands did a study on why adults love Halloween and why adults love Halloween costumes. And a couple of things that they came up with were uh, that, that adults love Halloween costumes because uh, you can be anonymous and less inhibited. You know, you're wearing a costume, they don't, people don't know who you are, you can just be yourself and be a little weird and crazy and, and, uh, and kind of hide behind the costume and, and do whatever you want and nobody's the wiser and you just feel more free and so people kind of were drawn to that. And, and another thing that, that they found out is that adults, oddly, um, love to pretend to be somebody else. And so you, you put on a costume and you can be, you know, a superhero for a night uh, you can be a Hollywood star for a night. You can be something else for a night, but you can pretend you can be somebody else. You don't have to be yourself. You can be somebody that you think is more famous, more attractive, more important, whatever it is. And so adults are dressing up more and more for Halloween because we, we want to be somebody else. We want just a few moments to feel what it was like to be somebody else, to to be a little bit hidden, to not have anybody know who we are. And, and you know, I, I thought about this because it's so uh, profound for us. If you remember last week, we were in the garden. We talked about God's creation. We're in this, this series in Genesis, and we went from the universe to God forming the world to a garden. And last week, we talked about Adam and Eve, and the serpent came, and they ate of the fruit, and suddenly they went from being completely uh, vulnerable and yet completely safe to all of a sudden being afraid, recognizing that they were naked, recognizing that something was wrong and that everything changed, that their identity, that, that what they knew as people, as a, a man and a woman created in the image of God got blurred and it got distorted. In fact, when you came in this morning, you may have noticed again the mirrors. We had a big sign just to help you uh, notice those mirrors. And if you looked in the mirror, um, you might have been pleased because it didn't look like you, but you probably recognized the fact that, that it was distorted, that it wasn't clear, that you didn't have a 
clear picture of who you were, and, and that's an idea of what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they lost that picture, they lost that identity of who God created them to be as image bearers of the God of the universe, to look like him, to, to model his character all of those things got distorted and things started to happen and, and we recognize that sin came into the world and, and everything changed and what happens today is that that, that image is still distorted and, and so we're constantly trying to find an image that works for us, an identity that works for us and so we go through these different phases in our lives and, and we try all of these different things to try to figure out who we are, to try to figure out what we're supposed to look like, to try to figure out what's socially acceptable, all of those things and people spend their whole lives just trying on different costumes, trying on different identities, trying to find what was lost in the garden. And if you remember, I want to finish with this little passage, this little verse out of Genesis 3:24. and here's how the story that we started last week finishes. It says, referring to God, he drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned ever, uh, every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That Adam and Eve went east, they, they had to leave the Garden of Eden, they left this place that God had created for them. Uh, they traveled out, God put a sentinel in front, of the garden, uh, in front of the garden, he put a flaming sword so that you, it couldn't be found, it couldn't be re-entered, that the Garden of Eden was lost to Adam and Eve and they went out in the world to till the soil, to work, um, to start, basically start over. And, and that's why we have, a, there's a quote that from a pastor that I really like, Mark Sayers, it says this, Thus humanity finds itself wandering east of Eden, aware at a deep level that it is expelled, yet also aware that Eden exists. Think about that for a second. That, that, that we go through life recognizing that, that we have been expelled from Eden, but that still Eden exists. There's still a place. There's still a, a, something missing. There's still a longing from home. Have you, have you ever felt homesick in your life? You ever felt homesick? Here's my idea is that deep inside all of us, there's a homesickness. Deep inside of all of us, there's a sense that we're not home yet. That, that there's, something, there's something missing. There's a place and we can't find it, we're not there yet, but, but no matter where we go, no matter what we try, no matter what we do, there's that something, that little piece missing, there's a homesickness that's built into us and it's been there since the garden. We find this true, and it, so here Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, and as bad as that story gets, I mean, that's where we left them. Uh, the good news is that this morning it gets worse. This morning, there's another story that we're gonna talk about that takes us another whole step further. And as we look at this this morning, I want you to think of four things that God does in the story of our lives. The, the first is that he initiates. The second is he affirms. Uh, the third is he uncovers. And the fourth, he convicts. We're gonna look at those four things out of a story in Genesis, the fourth chapter, this morning. Let's just read it together. The first part is God initiates. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. 
In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell, and the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? So we have this scene that they both bring their sacrifices to the Lord, and and the Lord receives Abel's and blesses it, but he doesn't receive Cain's. Uh, And and Cain gets angry, and and it says that his face fell. He gets depressed. His face drops. And so all of these emotions are going on with Cain, and God asks him this question, why are you angry, and why has your face fell? Verse 7 says, if you do well, This is God's affirmation. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So here's the question. What is it about Abel's offering that's better than Cain's? I mean, we we always look at the story and we think, well, God took Abel's offering, but he didn't take Cain's. Was God on a, like a paleo diet or something at that moment? I mean, he, he wanted the, the meat, but he doesn't want vegetables. I mean, is that what's, what's happening here? God kind of chooses one over the other, and, and is, is there something wrong with, uh, and we want to compare what they brought. We want to think about the, the gift that they brought, the sacrifice that they brought, and, and sort of draw a judgment based on what they brought to the Lord. But he, this passage is really different. There's, there's something else that's going on Listen to this again. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Do you see something there? We want to evaluate the offering while God is looking at the heart. It said that God didn't regard Cain and his offering. Something's going on in Cain's heart, something's going on in Cain's life that God sees, but but we don't necessarily see it. We're looking at the offering, we're looking at what he brings. We do that so much in our lives. Uh, uh, God sees Abel, he sees his heart, and he receives his offering. And I don't think it's about the offering at all. I think they brought what they had. It's about their heart. And God's trying to get Cain's attention. Uh, If you look at 1 Samuel 16, 7, we have this great lesson. Samuel has been called to go anoint the next king of Israel and he goes to this guy Jesse's house and Jesse has all of these sons and, and he starts going down the line of these sons and, and every time uh, he, the Lord tells him this isn't the one, this isn't the one, he gets all the way to the end and he says, we're out of sons. Do you have any other sons? Is there anybody else here? And they say, well, we just have this, the youngest one, David. He's out with the sheep. He's really, you know, just a kid. You know, we don't count him even in this whole deal. And, and Samuel said, bring him. And here's what he says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. He says, because man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God sees into our hearts, and he knows our hearts. He responds to our hearts while we're looking at all of the other circumstances, all of the other things in life. God is looking into our hearts. And then there's another in, in, in Hosea 6, 6. It says this, that God's desires are for mercy, not sacrifice. That God, again, is looking at our heart. He's looking for a heart of mercy. He's not looking for our sacrifice. He's not looking for those things we bring, but he wants to know the condition. He wants us to understand the condition of our hearts. So Cain is angry and depressed, and God calls him out on it. And and God says, Cain, if you will do well, will you not be accepted? This, this, This idea, will you not be accepted, could also be translated, will your face not be lifted up? 
I want you to have this picture of God this morning that, that God comes alongside and he says, Cain, here's what I want. I want to grab you by the side of your face and I want to lift your face up. I want you to be lifted up. I want you to know that you're accepted. I want you to know who you are in me. Have you ever, have you ever seen a, a mom with a, a little one who gets hurt and, and the child's crying and, and the, the mom just grabs his face and lifts it up, holds his head up to comfort, to love, to express her love? That's the picture of what God is saying to Cain at this moment in his anger and, and his depression. The language is really, really beautiful. And then God gives this wonderful warning to Cain. He says, sin is crouching at your door. He's saying, Cain, be careful because sin is crouching at your door. And, and this, this image of crouching is really important for us because they can take it two different ways. One is that, that he says, sin is, is it's, it makes itself small. So it seems really insignificant. This is no big deal. I can do this. Everybody does this. This is okay. Nobody will even know that I've done this. And, and, it, and it seems really small. And then it grows into something that destroys lives. Or, or the other thing is that it's something that's hiding. And, and we're not expecting it. And we're not thinking about it. And we're not looking for it. But it comes out and it, again, and it gets us before we even recognize what's going on, that it attacks our hearts and our minds. And so he said, sin is crouching at your door. Be aware, be, be prepared. Think about what's going on. Think about what you're doing. Think about where your heart is because sin is crouching. Sin is hiding. Sin is trying to look insignificant and, and small, but it's a huge thing in your heart and it's a huge thing in your life. And so I have just this one little question for us this morning to start, and, and that's simply this. Can you recognize the start of sin in your life? Can you recognize when sin is crouching at your door? Can you recognize when those little things that, that, that everything inside you wants to treat as, as insignificant, as small, as nobody will get it, nobody will, nobody will know, nobody else is gonna mind this, but it's gonna, it's gonna separate you from the God in your life. Sin is crouching at your door but God will not let Cain refuse to look at it. And God doesn't let us. So God uncovers Cain's sin. That he's given them this incredible warning. He's saying, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. This doesn't have to be this way. You can respond. And then in verse eight, it says this, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where Abel is your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now that's a famous line, we know that, but let me tell you what the word keeper means to us. It's the same word that's used in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve, that they are to be the caretakers, uh, they're to be the managers, uh, they're to be the cultivators of the garden. They're to guard the garden, they're to nurture it and care for it. And God is saying, that's who you are supposed to be for your brother. Where is he? What's happened? Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? I'm not responsible for him. He's on his own. He's a grown-up. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. And the Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed, and this is how God convicts. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood. 
from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to, your, to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. And let me tell you what the great tragedy of this was, that Cain recognizes the fact that he is gonna be forced to leave the presence of God. It's not about the ground, it's not about any of those things, but it's about losing, it's about missing out on being in the presence of God. Being separated, being distant, not knowing anymore the presence of God. Cain understands that at that moment. So let's look at what happened for a second. And and, and first, to understand Cain, names really matter in the Bible. Names are a big deal, particularly in the Old Testament. Names really do matter. Now, you do get it also in the, the New Testament. If you, if you remember, the Apostle Paul started out as Saul, and, and when he came to Christ, he was transformed. He was, received a new name. He went from being Saul to Paul. But in the Old Testament, they used names to describe. And so Cain is the firstborn from Adam and Eve. He is, he is the eldest son. He is the pride and joy. Uh, Cain is, his name means productive. His, Cain, his name means uh, uh, that he is able, he is uh, worth, he produces, uh, he has great worth, all of those things. And so Cain is growing up with this name that means you are the one. You are the gifted one. You are the attractive one. If he was born today, you are the athletic one. You are the great academic achiever. You are all of those things. This is Cain. This is how he grew up. This is how he's known. His identity became built around being the firstborn and all of the things that are wrapped around that. Being the one that produces, being the one that's successful, being the one that's always right, always first, and all those things. Now, Abel, Abel means breath, vanity, pretty much a nobody. So we have these two brothers, Cain, who's the superstar, and Abel, who shows up, who's really the nobody, who doesn't have the credentials, doesn't have all of those things. And Cain's identity gets tied up in in all of those things. And, And when that gets slammed, when that gets taken away, he is angry and he is depressed and he doesn't like that. Uh, he, he rebels against that. And God says to Cain, do you realize why you're angry and depressed? Cain wanted to keep his sense of identity outside of God, that this was about him. This wasn't about his being made in the image of God. This was about his identity, his success, all the things that he was wrapped up in. And compared to him, Abel was a nobody. And if our lives are based on anything, here's the lesson, if our lives are based on anything short of God, we will always be consumed with how we're perceived or our place in the pecking order. And then God shows up in his grace and we don't want to receive it. We don't want God's grace. We want our grace. We want our thing. We want to be the one that's identified as, the, as number one. We don't want his grace. We want affirmation. And we're angry when we don't get it and we don't feel like it's fair because we based our identity on something that's wrong, on the wrong thing. And image bearers of God, as people made in the image of God, we are called to reflect the glory, the power, and the might of our king. Our deepest sense of purpose and identity is so bound up in this calling that everything about our lives, from the work that we do, to the people that we love, to the place that we live, all somehow connect back to him. That's what God intended. There's a great uh, quote from another theologian, Melissa Kruger, that says this, our identity in Christ is a fixed anchor guiding us through the changing seasons and circumstances of our lives. 
Do you get that? Our identity in Christ is a fixed anchor. No matter what happens in our lives, no matter what we experience, no matter what we do, our identity is fixed on who we are in Christ. It's not fixed on our circumstances. It's not thrown out when things go bad. It's not destroyed when something hard happens in our lives, but our identity is fixed on the anchor that is Jesus, on who he is, through everything in our lives. But instead of this, we get verse 16, Maybe the most haunting verse in this whole passage, it says this, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is about as far away from home as you can get. And when you and I start to think about how things have gotten so bad, you, you may feel like this whole idea is offensive. After all, Cain murdered his own brother. Who would do that? My story's nothing like that. I've never done anything like that. But the last time I checked, none of us were living in Eden. None of us belonged there. Somehow we've all drifted off course, and this is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans that all have fallen short. All have missed the mark. And further, he says, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Uh, No one does good, not even one. We are all in the same boat. We are all in the same place. We all have lost that sense of who God created us to be, uh, the identity that God built into us in creation. We've all lost that. We've all wandered. And again, after this story, it may sound really harsh because we're talking about Cain who murdered his brother, but listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew 5, 21 says this, you have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of fire. Wow. What's Jesus talking about? He's saying that if I get angry with my brother or sister, I'll be guilty of that? Is that what Jesus is saying? Jesus is calling us out that all of us fail to love one another the way that we were created to, and we fail like Cain to care, to protect, to guard the people who are in our lives. That's us. That's it. Now, Nod may not even have been a real city because Nod literally means a place of wandering. And what we know about Cain is that he wandered from the presence of God and he continued to wander the rest of his life. He wandered from the presence. It's what Cain ran from. That's what we want. That's what our hearts are crying out for. That's what our souls are achingly sick for is to be back into the presence of a loving father who created us and loves us and we're all craving to be back into his presence. We're all, created, we're all craving to be back in a relationship with him. So here we are. Here's Cain. Is that it? I mean, it was bad enough to get booted out of Eden, right? Now we got Cain wandering the earth. We've got this just other horribly tragic story. Is that, is that the best it gets? Is that how the, the story ends? Or we're, are we all left to be wandering like Cain? Is there any hope? There's, there's another verse. There's another place. Uh, 
you know, and if you remember in Genesis 3, we talked about that, that when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, that, that God pr- pronounced that judgment. He pronounced that curse. But then he said in, in chapter 3, verse 15, that, that, that there's, there's a serpent, that there's the enemy, and you, he will bite your heel, but he, I am sending one who will crush his head. I am sending a redeemer. I'm sending a savior. I'm sending someone who, who is going to change this. I'm sending somebody who's going to turn this around. I'm sending a savior of the world. God promised that, and they waited. Genesis 4, 25 and 26, there's this great reminder. It says, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and uh, called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And and Seth also, uh, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the Lord. That's better, isn't it? Think about this for a second. Eve, Adam and Eve had Cain. Cain later has a son, Seth. He has a son, Enosh. And all of a sudden, what's beginning to happen is that that father is telling the son, Genesis 3.15, that God is gonna send a redeemer, that God is going to send someone, that God is going to send a savior. And that son becomes a father and he tells his son, and that son becomes a father, and he tells his son. And that son becomes a father, and he tells his son. And it begins, the story begins to be proclaimed. The story begins to be passed on from generation to generation to generation until one day there's a man, and he tells his son Joseph that God is going to send a redeemer. God is going to send someone to save the sins of the world. And Joseph has a son, and he names him Jesus. And Jesus comes. And the story is fulfilled in the life of Christ. And it's been passed on, and there is always hope. God is never finished with the story. And that story was passed on until Jesus came, until Jesus shows up, and Jesus says things like, uh, love your enemies, not just your family and friends. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will open the door, I'll come in and have a meal with them. That Jesus isn't crouching at the door. Jesus isn't hiding at the door. Jesus is standing, and he's knocking at the door. And he says, if you'll open the door, I will come in and I'll have a relationship with you. That's how Jesus works, that he invites us into a relationship with the Father. He says, that's what I came for. I came to cure your disease. I came to heal you. I came to help you to understand what it means to be created in the image of God, what it means to look like him. And Jesus is standing at the door. He's not hiding. He's not sneaking. He is there. He's offering himself to us. That's why he came. That's what he promises us. It's an amazing picture. In Jesus, we have hope, and we know that it's not the end of the story, so until he comes again, we wait. We do not lose hope. We stay vigilant. We guard against the evil in our hearts. We hold on to the truth of our identity in Christ. We know that grace was available to Cain, and that grace is available to us today. And and as our hearts and our minds are turned to Jesus, Jesus says to us, will you not be accepted? Will your face not be lifted up? That what Jesus wants is to hold our face and to lift our face, to lift our face that's fallen because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our weakness, our selfishness, and he wants to hold our face and lift it up, and he wants to look into our eyes, and he wants us to see him 
and he wants us to understand that we're created in the image of God for a relationship with him, that that's God's intention, that's always been God's intention, to be face to face with the Father, to be in relationship, to be in the presence, the God who created us, the God who loves us. Well, there's, a, there's one song that, uh, well, it's probably more than one, okay, but there is a song that I love that expresses so much the heart of what it means to be an image bearer. And the song is How He Loves Me by David Crowder. And you're probably familiar with it. The chorus says, And I realize how great your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us. Oh, oh, how he loves us. What astounds me is that this is not a song where we declare our love for God. This is a song where we stand and declare God's love for us, where we're reminded of how much God loves us. And not just declare it, but we bask in it, we revel in it, we delight in it. No other religion in the world can do this. Christianity is the only faith that would dare stand and boldly repeat how great your affections are for, for me. Oh, how he loves us. Declarations of love typically travel to the receiver, but here the receivers of love declare with confidence and joy in the sure knowledge of that perfect love, the perfect father love has been lavished on us as his children. Oh, how he loves us. We celebrate that, not how good we are, not how much we can impress, not all of those things, but we celebrate how much God loves us, in spite of us. 1 John 3, 1 says this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. So we are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this truth, Lord, because we acknowledge the fact that we, Lord, that sin lurks at the door. Sin lurks in our hearts and our lives, and it can make itself seem small and insignificant and we give in. It, it, can, it can be hiding, Lord, but it crouches and, Lord, we recognize the fact that we have all sinned, we've all fallen short, and yet, Lord, you want to lift our face and this morning we give you praise and thanks for your love for us, that you are unrelenting in your pursuit of us, Lord. You have done everything possible to reach us. You sent your son to die on a cross for us, Lord, and we are grateful this morning and we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. It's so amazing, Lord, that we, we don't even often know how to comprehend it, and yet we know it's true. Lord, we feel that homesickness. We know that you've called us from wandering, that you've called us back to you. So thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Amen. In just a moment, We'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. That's the, uh, that's, the, that's the story, isn't it? 
how God loves us, how much he loves us, what he's done in order to bring us back into a right relationship with him. And we celebrate that. We live that together. I want to give a quick, one little quick personal thing. You know, Adam uh, did a great job announcement about the senior pastor search committee. And um, uh, for a kid, I was sitting right there. <laughs> he had to do it right there. Uh, but, you know, this was Jenna and mine. Was, this was our idea. We had this weird thing that happened, you know, this year we turned 65. And uh, I don't know how that happened, but it did. And we began to think about what's the Lord want for us, what's he want us to do, and what's best for North. And, and so we just felt God leading us into this transition, and we want to do it really well because we love you and we love this place and, and felt like this is how the Lord was leading. And, and so let's create this runway that's, you know, 12 to 18 months, and we're going to do it well, and we're going to do it prayerfully, and we're all going to do it together, and we're going to celebrate what God has done and what he's going to do in the future. And I think the best days of North are ahead, and, and we're thrilled about that and and so we we started this and and uh and you know it's it's a challenge and uh, my i'm just you know sort of dumb i just thought okay we all get this and and we're all in this together and we you know and we're family and friends and and we're going to do this transition we're going to kind of show how do you do this how do you do this really well i'm we, we didn't take off and leave you guys looking for you know uh, somebody, we want to do this really, really well, and and so we're in this process that we that we initiated, and and uh, I've noticed a couple things though that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, uh, there's still consequences to things, and so attendance has been a little bit flat, and giving's been down, and there's just sort of this sometimes a little malaise sometimes, and so I, I just wanted to say that I want to encourage you when you go out today to sign up to be on that prayer team because we we are a family and. And uh, whoever's your senior pastor doesn't mean I'm not family. And, and I need you guys, I need we, us to do this together and be part of this together. So I just want to encourage you that this is a good thing. This is the Lord's thing. Uh, we're all in it together. And I wanted to encourage you to join the prayer team and be part of this uh, journey with us, all right? Uh, so thank you. And here's uh, my, uh, I want to remind you too, we'll have prayer partners to the side uh, in the corner here in our prayer table. Uh, will be on the side and you write your prayer requests down, record those, and we'll pray with you and for you throughout the, the week. And, uh, and as you pray for us, we'll be praying for you, all right? Um, here's my prayer. It's from Hebrews 11:4. By faith, Abel, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And my prayer is that God would speak to us, speak to us this week about his love for us. I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.